Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Teacher's Point of View. The Teacher's Point of View podcast is designed to collaborate with those in the profession, some of the best educators that are in the profession, talking about education, what we can do to really help it evolve and actually challenge the status quo on what we can do. I genuinely believe that we are letting a lot of children down every single year, but on top of that, the high stakes accountability lets teachers and those in the profession down too. So what really would be a fantastic idea is to kind of work together and actually globalize education so we can take nuggets from what everyone is doing and work together to move education forward and give more children opportunities in life to succeed. Really proud to be sponsored by Teacher Roo, who are very much aligned to that mission. They want to globalize education and have one app basically where teachers can go on from around the world, share ideas, resources, and support each other, a supportive community for education. Please do check out the app. I think it's going to be phenomenal. It's, it's very much an infancy stage, but it's going to be phenomenal. And please, please check out the app and obviously join the Teacher's Point of View group. Hope you guys enjoy and see you on the next episode. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Teacher's Point of View. Um, I've got a special principal on today. He's a uh, and um, Latif, who's obviously the, the principal of DLD College. Um, just had a brief chat with him prior to starting recording and he's doing some incredible, incredible things at DLD. Um, I mean, a lot of what he's doing is things that I've been preaching about. So I'm really excited to have you on Irfan. I mean, could you just kind of, uh, just so everyone knows who you are, could you kind of introduce yourself and your journey in education so far, please? Okay, and it's wonderful to be here as part of the QTS uh, podcast. Thanks very much for the invitation. Yes, I'm Irfan Latif and I'm the principal here at the award-winning DLD College uh, London. I've been in education now for over a quarter of a century. Uh, that sounds quite grand. Uh, but yeah, I've been buying uh, my trade now uh, before you were born. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a journey. I've, I've spent time in a number of independent and state schools uh, and have uh, you know run departments and... Uh, I've been part of senior leadership teams uh, and my second headship now. Uh, I ran a boarding school back in Somerset, uh, a very lovely country boarding school, uh, every head, head teacher's dream. Uh, and now I'm back in the city in, in the urban mix of London. Uh, and uh, just behind me here is, uh, is DLD College London. And uh, it's a great place to be. We're a boarding school uh, right in the heart of London. And um, it's, uh, it's great fun. I mean, that building looks absolutely awesome, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, obviously DLD is quite a prestigious boarding school, isn't it? I mean, it's quite sought out after by international students and some students that actually reside here in, in, in London as well, right? I mean, what, what, I mean how, has, how difficult has it been in terms of boarding over the last 12 months? All the work that we've been doing. And, uh, you know, that just goes to show the great work that our boarding staff, uh, all the staff at DLD have, have been doing. It has been tough, uh, but I've been really, really impressed at how our house parents have adopted and adapted to this new way of working. And of course, our students who have just uh, gone on with it uh, and displayed that real grit and determination to ensure that they continue with their education, uh, that they continue living in a harmonious community here at DLD. Uh, and it's been uh, it's been wonderful to see how our students have matured uh, over these past 12 months and how our staff have adapted to new ways uh, of working uh, no one wanted this um, we all uh, were looking at ways in which we can improve boarding on a face-to-face -face basis and uh, you know for us to have gone into to lockdown uh, we, we had to really adapt and change the way we work um, 
when the first lockdown came, um, we were looking at ways in which we can interact with the community. Um, and so we uh, became part of the uh, Rainbows for NHS campaign. And this was something our boarders uh, had thought up. Our building is right opposite uh, St. Thomas's Hospital. So they started drawing pictures and putting up uh, thanks uh, up, on the, uh, up on the posters up in the window. Uh, just to say thank you to all the NHS key workers who are working so hard in order to protect us uh, from this pandemic. And then, of course, the um, new hospitals, the Nightingale hospitals were built uh, and this Rainbows for NHS campaign kicked off. Unfortunately, the NHS could not accept any uh, pictures because of the uh, infection that may spread coming from various different households. And so we stepped in and said, look, we will we will be happy uh, to take those posters. Uh, and we had some 5,000 odd children, artists from around the world, send in their pictures. And we displayed them. Uh, we have enough windows. <laughs> we displayed them uh, at DLD. Uh, and we were then deemed as a beacon of hope uh, because everyone who walked past saw the messages of, of thanks, uh, of well-being uh, to those key workers. Mm. And we also had a, a, an area for Captain Tom as well. So this was a real effort by the boarding community, by our boarding staff, our boarding students, uh, to come together and do something really, really positive uh, for the community and London as a whole. That's phenomenal, that is. I mean, obviously, um, NHS have been amazing this year, but actually, also, I think that the forgotten heroes sometimes are the teachers and the school staff for the remarkable work they do. I mean, they've kept the economy going in, in terms of allowing these key workers to go to schools. And my hat honestly goes off to the profession because we, this country would have been pretty screwed without the, the, the hard work that you've you've done over this period. I mean, you've, one, of the, one of the key elements that you've spoken about in, in that was well-being, right? And well-being, I mean, Jesus Christ, after everything that's happened in the last year, I think well-being it should be at the forefront of everyone's thoughts, right? I mean, you've obviously explained to me just before we start recording the, the amazing things you're doing in terms of well-being, but would you mind just sharing for the viewers what, what you're doing in terms of well-being? Yeah, I mean, our, our raison d'etre, if you like, is all about the mental health and well-being of our students and staff. Um, we have always said that if we remove those barriers to learning, uh, then our, uh, our students are going to achieve uh, whatever they want to. And so back in January 2018, uh, when I started, our focus was on ensuring the well-being uh, and the mental health of our students and staff. So we created an award-winning well-being centre uh, and we appointed college counsellors. We uh, have a life coach uh, and our staff now are being trained as coaches uh, to provide that uh, support for our, for our students. Uh, we have some 60-odd staff now and students and parents uh, who are mental health first aid trained so we can triage some of those issues uh, and can be dealt with uh, before it mushrooms into something uh, that is difficult to handle. Uh, and uh, our values of tolerance uh, and of respect and of kindness uh, underpin everything that we do uh, at DLD. Uh, yes, as a result, our results have been, uh, have been very, very encouraging and we're very happy with the exam results and the destinations uh, that our students go off to. Uh, but for me, TJ, it is all about the well-being and mental health. And, and more so now during this pandemic where we've had to have periods of isolation, where we've had to socially distance, uh, where we're so animals we we thrive on connection that human connection uh, and for us uh, that is so important and so by building in those 
opportunities for well-being, for those opportunities to improve our mental health and the strategies that we've adopted within school for our staff and students uh, has, has benefited us. Uh, I have made it a point uh, to talk to every single member of staff during this lockdown, uh, whether they're um, support staff, whether they are uh, teaching staff, uh, to make sure that you know, they remain connected uh, to our community. And our community continues to remain strong. And I think through this virus that we've mutated, uh, DLD has mutated into something stronger, uh, which binds our community together through those values of tolerance, uh, of respect, and of kindness. Uh, and I think, you know, that mental health and well-being um, needs to be promulgated through all our schools. And, I'm, and I know that many, many, many uh, of my fellow head teachers are doing just that to ensure that the mental health and well-being of their students and staff is at the top. Because seeing TJ, how exams have been... Uh, have been compromised um, you know they you know they've been cancelled and uh, so we know that the, we can put the the exam grades and how those exam grades work into the hands of the professionals the true professionals the teachers as you say who have pivoted who have adapted who've been flexible over these past 12 months mm. and to give them the opportunity to provide those grades for our students just goes to show that the exam system as well needs rehauling uh, so that we can give our students the best possible chances uh, when we are in situations such as this. And so I think things like the university process, uh, the exams process, uh, will all need to change in light of this pandemic and how we assess our students going forward. Absolutely. I mean, I love everything you've just said. I'll be honest with you, Erfan. I mean, it's everything that I stand for. So, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you any more than, than what you've just said. But I think, look, just in terms of obviously the mental health aspect, I mean, you've, you've done it quite early. I mean, you've done it before the pandemic actually um, kind of came into play. And obviously, we really need to look at the mental health figures and how much the UK economy spends on mental health issues every single year to know that it's a real, real issue, right? And Obviously, children don't learn when they when they when they're not there in terms of like in terms of the emotional regulation. If if they're not if they're not feeling up to it mentally, then they're not going to learn, right? And it's the same with teachers. If they're not happy, if they're not like pumped up, then they're not going to want to. They're not going to be teaching at their best ability, are they? I mean, how have you found the results in the last three years since you've kind of gone onto this well-being model? We've seen a significant improvement in our results we've seen a significant uplift in where our students uh, go university isn't for everyone uh, you know internships the world of work etc and we encourage uh, whatever pathway our students want to go down in consultation with their parents and guardians to ensure that is the best route uh, for them as we said tj you know the students need to be happy uh, and uh, you know one size doesn't fit all university is, isn't for everybody uh, and so in order to make sure that we have the correct pathways, we have those very important discussions with our various team leaders in school, with our various uh, teachers, heads of faculty, uh, directors of studies to ensure that the right pathway is, uh, is given to our students. And that works with our parents as well and where parents are kept fully informed of what is going on. And one, uh, one benefit that has come out of this um, of this pandemic is the increased interaction and engagement that we have with our parents, especially with those parents who are overseas, of, you know, our international borders. Uh, by going online to have parents' evenings now, we've seen an increase of about 50% in terms of our engagement with our parents. 
the online parents evening is something that I think we will continue with uh, going forward because it's much more flexible. Uh, it doesn't use up too much time in terms of travel, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we can talk to our parents as and when is necessary uh, through uh, you know, video conferencing facilities such as Zoom and Teams. So I think one benefit that has come out, and there have been uh, many other benefits, and of course there have been many uh, disadvantages as well to the pandemic, but we've got to see some of the silver linings uh, through this and continue to remain positive. Uh, and one of those is, is definitely how we can further engage with our parents uh, through uh, parents' evenings being online. Absolutely. I mean, it's a trifecta, isn't it, in some respects? It's a, it's a triangle. You need the parents, you need the students, and you need the school staff to all be aligned, right, and on this on this vision, um, on this journey together, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, people might think you're Illuminati. You might be careful. But, um, yeah, no, ultimately, <laughs> the, the idea is that you've got to bring everyone together. It's a community effort, isn't it? I mean, and I think one of the big problems, especially in state schools, and like you, you've kind of removed yourself from league tables because you believe in well-being and you've taken away those restrictions, right? But like obviously state schools can't do that. And and there's it, still this massive uproar about exams and um content being the the be all and end all, not for everybody, but there are still some educators that believe like the educational content is everything, right? And they they, they don't see, I mean, they've got pastoral teams, but actually like the 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 level of work that emotional intelligence coaches do with children in terms of work working with trauma and helping them kind of overcome certain issues. I think it's probably a little bit unrecognized for, for the level of impact they can have on children's lives. Do you, do you find that it's, it's something that schools need to incorporate to, in, in what they're doing to, to make sure they are doing the best for their children? You know, many, many schools do that. Yes, I know there is a, a focus on um, league tables and things like that, but I think you know the pandemic now is is going to change how we look at assessment and how we look at those league tables. If those league, league tables will exist going forward at, at DLD, you know we, it's important that we do teach our students the chemistry, the physics, the biology, etc., for for whatever uh, pathway they want to go into, uh, and that content is important. You know, don't get me wrong, that academic content. Uh, that measure of how uh, their knowledge and understanding is then translated into exams, that is important. Uh, the other question is how that assessment is going to be um, formalized in some way post-COVID uh, is another question, and that needs consultation and um, discussion with various exam boards and the government and school leaders. But as you say, the, the curriculum uh, as it stands now, how does it need to change in response to that? And you're absolutely right. Uh, looking at elements of critical analysis, uh, looking at elements of uh, outdoor learning, uh, the appreciation of the human connection, uh, coaching, um, and how we go about incorporating those within our curriculum uh, is going to be important. Um, employees now are going to be looking at those soft skills. Mm. How can people adapt? And they're going to be looking at those tech skills as well. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, before I before this pandemic, I thought Zoom was an ice cream. <laughs> and uh, you know I, I live my life now every day on zoom uh, and so it's important it's important that the, that new generation coming through does have that emotional intelligence but they do also uh you know digital natives you know i've just been signed up to clubhouse uh, a new social media which i'm sure you're you're very okay with 
Um, he's probably been around for ages. So sorry if I'm late to the party. No, but, uh, but Clubhouse, a great new social, yeah, great yeah. new social media. Again, that has been developed by millennials, and it's looking at how uh, we incorporate those tech skills now going forward uh, into our education, and how that is going to be so important going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the, the objective in some respects of education is to give children an opportunity by the time that they leave school, that they, they have an opportunity in life. Right. And uh, sometimes we, we we expect children to know what career they want to go into by the time you're 16. I think that's sometimes the wrong question. I think the right question should be what kind of person do you want to become? Like, do you want to become someone that earns loads of money? Do you want to ch- change the world? Like we should be asking these kind of questions. So children can actually know who they are by the time they leave school so they can make better informed decisions of what career they want to go down i think a lot of time children don't know who they are what kind of person they want to become and then they're forced to make a decision on what what degree to choose and what career they want to choose and actually it's we're we're doing them a little bit of a disservice in some respects right and just kind of going on to the tech point there's so much i mean we look at like helping them with CVs and kind of maybe job prep, but actually are we teaching them how to use LinkedIn? I mean, that is a mind blowing platform that opens so many doors. Why aren't we incorporating that into our curriculum? Why aren't we kind of teaching children how to personal brand? You know, I mean, that is, that is 21st century written all over it. All of our year 13 students, by the time they leave, all will have a LinkedIn profile because networking, I would not have met you if it wasn't through LinkedIn. Um, it's, it's so important now. And, uh, you know, jobs, uh, for employers, the first thing they'll do is look on LinkedIn. Uh, and if you don't have that profile, if you don't have that presence, if you don't have that influence uh, on LinkedIn, uh, then maybe, you know, employers may not uh, may not look at you. Um, I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's important that uh, platforms such as LinkedIn uh, are used in the way which will uh, allow, as you say, that personal branding but we also need to teach our students and our children uh, how to behave responsibly online. Now that everything has gone online, uh, TJ, it's so important how to be safe uh, online, uh, how our students need to be careful of the digital footprint that they leave behind, uh, because that could come back uh, in 10 or 15 years' time when they're looking to uh, move, uh, move jobs and things like that. And so I think people have become more and more conscious of that uh, and are making um informed choices as to how to behave responsibly in a virtual world yeah absolutely i mean yeah it, it's so important isn't it i mean even just things like teaching them if, if you want to apply for uh, for ernest young for example go add the director on linkedin like follow what he's doing and like understand what what makes him tick or her tick and then go and message them every day until you get a response about things that they're interested in you know i mean that is how you open doors i mean that's how you be proactive in the 21st century not by sending a cv that people look at and look at gcse and A levels, and they don't know any better if that person's going to be suitable for the job, you know. So, and, uh, and I think social media has opened up those avenues now where you can tweet uh, the Prime Minister, you can uh, tweet, um, you know, anyone uh, who, has a, who has a Twitter account. So, it's you know, people are out there, um, you know, making noises and, uh, and campaigning for, for various uh, issues. Uh, and for me, it is it is about giving our students a confidence, not that arrogance, TJ, but confidence 
uh, to be able to do that. Many people think that if you go to public school, they go to independent school, uh, there's a sense of arrogance about them. And, you know, our students are very well grounded. Uh, before the pandemic, uh, you know, we've worked very, very hard with the community. Uh, some of our students are uh, from privileged backgrounds. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're working in food banks. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're helping um, students uh, learning how to read in their local schools and, uh, and outreach projects that we've been doing uh, like that. So for us, it is about, as you correctly say, not what sort of career you want to go in, but what sort of person am I? And yeah. we want our students to be global and socially responsible students. Uh, one example is uh, it was our students who campaigned for the school to become plastic free. Uh, we invited Joe Ruxton, who's a huge plastic campaigner, who's worked with the likes uh, of Sir David Attenborough and has produced award-winning films on uh, how plastics are ruining our oceans. Came and gave an inspirational talk to our students who then were driven uh, by ensuring that single-use plastics were removed uh, from our school environment so that we could um, you know, become more sustainable. And that was a, a great social uh, project that our students got involved in. And, and you know, I'm proud to say that we continue to remain plastic free. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's it's so important, isn't it? I mean, we talk often we talk about creating a better world with love, compassion, empathy, but we don't teach it in school sometimes. I mean, we're, we're so focused on like content and passing exams and like making sure we look good on league tables and often don't like like screw at us. And but actually, like, what, what do we want in the world? What kind of future do we want? Because these kids are the future. Right. So what, what world do we want them to build? And ultimately, I do question how like sometimes education is taught if that is the kind of world we are, are trying to create, you know? I mean, what do you think kind of needs to change in the way that we kind of perceive education here in the UK? Our mission statement at, uh, at DLD is developing the next generation of leaders to take their place in a challenging and diverse world. D for development, L for leadership, B for diversity. I mean, our school was founded back in 1931 by Mrs. Davis Lang and Dick, hence why it's called DLD. But I think going into the 21st century it is about development. It is about leadership. It is about diversity. And diversity can mean a whole load of things. Diversity within our curriculum, diversity with, uh, within our community. Um, and of course, that diversity was brought to the fore last year with the George Floyd incident uh, and the movement that came out from it uh, and of course it is about those sorts of issues uh, which will have an impact on their lives going forward uh, and so it's important that our school environments uh, allow that open discussion and don't close those down and that's where we're going with education I feel TJ is that we are becoming more receptive and more open to uh, more ideas about how the world um, should be run, how the world should move forward. Uh, you know, we've got campaigners such as Greta Thunberg, 16-year-old, talking about climate change, speaking to world leaders. You know, for me, that is education. That is that what is people amazing. are going to learn. Uh, and so along with chemistry, biology, physics, I'm a chemist uh, by trade, uh, all of those um, things about networking and uh, looking at climate change and looking at emotional intelligence, looking at critical analysis, uh, looking at love and compassion, uh, not only for the environment, but for whoever is in that environment, uh, is so important going forward. And that's how our education system uh, should reflect uh, the changing social and economic and political needs of our country.
Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you're doing some uh, amazing things. I think, obviously, like just kind of bringing it back to because you're doing it, you're doing it fantastically. You know, I think I think there's so many elements that I, I absolutely try and encourage other school leaders to do. But there are still some that are traditionalist. Right. And they still believe that you should stand in front of the classroom. All children learn the same. Um, I mean, what would you say to people that, that still believe in that that way of teaching? Each institution will have its own intrinsic values, uh, will have its own mission statement, will have its own ways of, uh, uh, of working. But I think the pandemic will force all of us, including me, to look at how we do things going forward. Uh, and although a lot of us have been looking at how we can have a hybrid model or a blended model going forward, I think now the pandemic has accelerated those concepts uh, in a way that we never would have expected. And I think going forward, a lot of the leaders now are going to look at how we're going to uh, adapt to this new norm and how we are going to teach our students and what we are going to teach. Uh, and so uh, I think, yes, there is a place. Uh, and I respect those um, people who uh, want to continue with those traditions because traditions are important. You know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Traditions are important because who will continue with those traditions once the likes of me move on? Mm. And so those traditions are important and we value those traditions. But we are going to have to look at ways in which we can adapt those traditions to meet the needs of the 21st century learner and the 21st century curriculum going forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because it was our, it was our, sorry, it was our students who uh, wrote to MPs, who um, who uh, did all the project management and the work. We're, you know, we're the we're the first school uh, and the only school, I think, in the in the UK, let alone the planet, to have our uh, speech day, the Houses of Parliament, and that was all done by the students. We have a great relationship with the Houses of Parliament because of our uh, proximity. We have a, a various uh, MPs come and speak uh, at our uh, at our school, uh, and so our students were able to go and do that. And again, that taught them about project management, talked about networking, talked about how they go about approaching uh, people and, uh, and and looking to see how they can develop further. Uh, and and that's a sort of you know education, though those project based learning exercises uh, that will become the norm uh, as we move forward. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, there'll be some, right, that won't change. I mean, some believe in what they're doing, absolutely, and they're really passionate about it, like like Catherine Burbell Singh, who's head of Michaela Community School, and she, she's very passionate about it, and I, I admire that, because she, she absolutely believes what she does is the right thing, and she achieves fantastic results according to league tables and offset anyway. I mean, in terms of mental health, in terms of emotional intelligence, I don't know. I mean, there's no real like um, metrics that can kind of demonstrate what, 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 how, how we measure that, right? But I think sometimes that's the problem. I think sometimes we focus on the things that we can measure and don't focus on the things we can't measure because it's actually more difficult to see if we're making progress. And actually, 
we're losing the human touch in some respects to education by doing that, you know? I mean, children aren't numbers. They're, they're human beings that have individual motivations and like um, issues and trauma and whatever they've gone through, they deal with emotions differently. And we, like when I'm a manager, I don't manage an individual, uh, everybody the same way. I, I manage people as individuals. I know, I need to know what like makes people tick. I need to know what the intrinsic motivators are. I need to know what is going to get them down. And if they need a, uh, a whip to be whipped or if they need that really that comfort and that support you know and I think it's very important to recognize that and for those children that may come from backgrounds where they've had broken families or disadvantaged like kind of um, upbringings like to, to paint them with the same brush or teach them in the same way that somebody that has got really supportive parents that believe in education is the be all and end all and then you're trying to teach them the exact same way. I think it's mind-blowing. I, I just genuinely believe that is so outdated. And I think we need to have a more student-centered approach, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, like, is there, any, is there anything that you kind of want to add to that? No, you know, independent schools are fortunate in the fact that they do have small classes and so they can have that personalized approach. That's why we've adopted a coaching culture now at school so that we coach our individual students and help them on the right pathway for their academic journeys and help them pastorally as well and I think schools will become and gravitate more and more uh, to that type of model where we are looking at personalized journey of each of those individual students and how we can get the best uh, out of them uh, and I hope going forward uh, that's what we will continue to do uh, providing a, a solid foundation uh, for them to go and change the world. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we want, right? We want to give these children every opportunity, like in the nicest way possible. I always go back to this, and I'm not trying to put this in in basic form, but in some respects, I am. Like nobody, no employer wants an average employee, right? I mean, nobody does. I mean, we want the people that are best for the job. So when we when we're only offering children like the 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 generic subjects that we we've been teaching for such a long time, and those children that are only ever going to achieve C's, that no matter how hard they work, all we're telling them is and this is this is what children feel like they feel that like it doesn't matter how hard they work they're only ever going to be average so they go through their life going to an average university an average job like a 9 to 5 job and that they they like hate going to i mean this, i mean we need to do better for these children if we want to bridge the gap between school and the workplace we want to bridge that gap between the advantage and the disadvantage we've got to give those children opportunities too right so i just really hope we can incorporate student centered learning help kids find the niche their passion and and do more than just teach them content you know I, like it always drives I, I understand the importance of culture and tradition and Shakespeare like we need to teach him I get it but we need to teach like Shakespeare I get it but there is an element of you you teach children Shakespeare but then you expect them at 18 to leave school and vote without teaching them any politics so I mean like you talk about British culture but then you know there's an element that you're, you're missing you don't teach them how to save up for a mortgage you don't have to tell you don't tell them how to work taxes like how interest rates work I mean but then you expect them to go into the real world and figure it out themselves but you want to teach them Shakespeare for culture I mean it, like you I mean it's it's very like kind of contradictory in some respects right I mean we, if you're going to teach culture then teach it all, you know? No, I, I, I agree with you there. And lots and lots of schools, including ours, are you know, incorporating that into our PSAT curriculum. We call it the other subject because of the connotations that PSAT has. So we call it the other subject. And in that other subject, we talk about finance and education, financial education. You know, that is really important. I didn't know anything about mortgages when I left school and I had to <laughs> learn it all by myself. Yeah, but we talk about mortgages, we talk about pensions, we talk about interest rates. 
uh, they sit an exam at the end of that, so they have a financial qualification at the end uh, of their uh, of their studies uh, with us. Uh, and yes, we we look at ways in which we can incorporate those sort of uh, things that are not taught part and parcel of uh, of the standard curriculum, uh, you know, within the other subjects. And, and I'm grateful to the colleagues who invest all their time and resources into that to ensure that our students have a very rounded, holistic uh, education. And and that is is really really important going forward. You know, learning about the the world, uh, learning about politics, learning about how um, how the world works from an economic, political, uh, and social so, social aspect uh, is important for us. So, you know, the number of clubs and societies that we have, uh, we've we've been working um, with a group in Sweden, the Gapminder, uh, to talk about facts as opposed to fake news, so that our students can look at ways in which they can cut through all the noise and get to the facts and so that, that, that they are informed of the facts so that they can make uh, informed decisions and make and, and make coherent arguments about a particular point and so that type of education for me um, actually to reach their potential. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that that is how we prepare kids for the real world, right? And and uh, ultimately, it, got, it begs the question: what what is the purpose of education? Is it to give them the basic skills to to prepare, like the basic skills for when they leave school, or is it to actually give them something to thrive in? You know, and I like the latter, but then some people will believe the 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 prior. But ultimately, where where do you think kind of education needs to go? What, what does the future of education look like in the next sort of three to five years? I think there will be uh, a sort of blended learning approach now. Uh, I think that will happen. I think more and more schools will now adopt uh, a sort of blended uh, a blended approach. I think there will be more distant learning as well. Uh, I think that will happen and that will be more accessible now uh, to students. And I think there's going to be more of a uh, wider variety of opportunities uh, for our students, especially with um, looking at emotional intelligence, looking at climate change, looking at those things that we talked about and how that can be incorporated into, into the curriculum uh, to ensure that our students have a, a, a well-rounded view uh, of what is going on. And I think that is what's going to happen. And to add to that, uh, PJ, it's going to be things like uh, how does the uh, university application process change? Uh, how does our modes of assessment change in terms of the exam system that we have, uh, the inspection framework that we have, what will inspectors be looking at in terms of what makes good education? Mm. And I think all of those will help uh, formulate uh, what education looks like in the next three to five years. Do league tables need to go? Good question. Uh, each school is different uh, in terms of its pastoral care, in terms of its co-curricular activities, in terms of what it offers. Uh, and so it's very, very difficult to measure. Uh, and it just puts added pressure on, on uh, students and staff, uh, so thereby affecting their well-being and, uh, and mental health. So personally, uh, I, I would want them to be removed. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think all it does is, is put extra pressure on. The high stakes accountability puts extra pressure on and all it does is, is is hinder collaboration within the education sector. And actually, there's so many people doing so many awesome things and I've spoken to so many. I don't understand why these amazing minds aren't working together in actually developing education and moving it forward. And I do often question why the government has power of education when there's so many amazing educators in, in, in the world that are just doing these extraordinary things for their children so it does beg the question what the point of league tables are i know they were designed to so parents know what school is good and all of that but then it does beg the question why do we have in the first world in a first world country like the uk any schools that don't meet the requirements you know i mean why aren't all schools at a certain level par in terms of the state schools i mean what are we paying taxes for in some respects if we're not providing all children with a good quality education you know so i mean i think that definitely it needs to look, be looked at but uh, Fanny it's been absolutely lovely to have you I mean just before you go is there anything that you want to just uh, sort of get off your chest well I have to say that uh, Einstein said education is what remains once we leave school and so that that has always traveled with me so it's it's uh, yes the school the building the people etc you know those are the fond memories that we will have uh, but it's the education that we take away with us and how do we use that education uh, and what that education looks like uh, is exactly what we've been talking about today and how uh, the, the next generation uh, will now use that education to go and change the world in a positive way. Absolutely. And just while we were on Albert Einstein, he also said we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. Right. And uh, I think Albert Einstein, he might have seemed mental at the time, but he actually he, I think he's just absolutely brilliant. I mean, he was far ahead of his time, in my opinion, and we can take we can learn a lot from him. You know, I think he's. Yeah, but I think we need to develop education in a way that is going to actually look at solving problems instead of creating them. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're doing all the right things, uh, Fanny. It's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear that there are educators that are incorporating traditional and the 21st century and looking at the well-being of staff, students. I mean, it's it's everything I like to hear and I, hopefully it's the future of our education system here in the UK and, and around the world. But yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you and for everyone that's listening and watching, thanks for uh, watching. Thank you very much, DJ, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity uh, and I wish all of you, you, your family and all our listeners good mental health. Thank you. Thanks again for listening and thank you for all the guests that do come on to the teacher's point of view. Just to kind of, just to reiterate, we are trying to globalise education here. TeacherRoo is a fantastic app in which we are able to potentially do that in the near future. So please jump on the app and obviously join the teacher's point of view group to continue the conversation. Thank you.